Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining this webinar to introduce the ODI Fellowship Scheme. My name is Sasha Kapadia. I'm the Director of Global Advisory here at ODI, and I lead the Fellowship Scheme. Uh, I'm very pleased to introduce um, my peers today on this webinar. Um, first, I will uh, introduce Darren Lomas, who's the Program Officer for the ODI Fellowship Scheme. Hi, I'm Darren. So along with Susan Barron, I've been responsible for the placement and recruitment of several hundred fellows now into um, quite a few dozen countries. So I've got quite a lot of experience with the scheme. Thanks, Darren. And Darren mentions Susan Barron, um, who is a longstanding champion and, and steward of the, of the scheme. She couldn't join us today, but um, know that she is a, a resource for all of us um, going forward in this process. I would then like to introduce our, well, a current fellow and an alum of the program. Uh, Karishma Tiwari is a current fellow at the Ministry of Health in Malawi. She started in January of 2023. Karishma, can you say hello? Hi, everybody. My name is Karishma Tiwari, and as Sasha mentioned, I'm currently in Malawi with the Ministry of Health. Thank you. Thanks, Karishma. And I'd like to introduce Jamelia Harris, a former fellow in the Ministry of Finance and Economic Development uh, in Sierra Leone from 2012, uh, 20, yeah, 20, 20, 2012 uh, to 2014, and now is a teaching fellow uh, in the Department of Politics and International Studies at the University of Warwick. Jamelia, can you say hi? Uh, hi, everyone. Um, uh, looking forward to, to chatting with you this afternoon or morning. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so just a bit of housekeeping before we get started. Um, I will do a very brief uh, presentation uh, of the scheme to give you a sense of um, how it works. Uh, and uh, we have enabled a Q&A function on this webinar. So um, the chat has been disabled, but if you have any questions, please channel them through the Q&A. Um, where appropriate, we will be answering them in real time, um, chatting right back to you. Uh, and where it, it makes sense, we will direct questions either to, to Darren or myself um, or to Karishma or Jamelia. Once I get through the presentation, we will turn it over to our fellows who will speak a little bit about um, their experiences. Uh, and then we hope to leave about 20 minutes at the end, at least for your questions. Um, so without further ado, I will turn my screen on. Sorry, folks, having a bit of technical difficulties. It seems like I clicked on the wrong window. Okay. What is the ODI Fellowship Scheme? The ODI Fellowship Scheme is a demand-led partnership between ODI and partner governments. Um, in 2023, we are celebrating the 60th anniversary of the ODI Fellowship Scheme. Um, so this means that it truly brings value to uh, our public sector institutions, as well as to the fellows themselves. Uh, it's a win-win arrangement. So governments benefit in so much that uh, in low-income countries, that provides them with high-caliber junior professionals and fellows benefit because they get a very unique opportunity to work in lower and middle-income countries as local schools embedded for 
period of time. What is this game? It was established 60 years ago. We've partnered with over 40 countries uh, and an additional dozen or so international and regional organizations. Uh, we've placed over 300 fellows over the last six decades, um, ranging from the Caribbean to the South Pacific. Uh, and the current list of countries where fellows are placed are the following Ethiopia, Fiji, Ghana, Malawi, Namibia, Pakistan, Rwanda, Sierra Leone, Solomon Islands, Maliland, Sri Lanka, Tanzania, Timor-Leste, Tonga, Uganda, Uzbekistan, Vanuatu, and Zambia. So as you can see, uh, the geographies in which we work are extremely diverse, the needs are very diverse, and so therefore we uh, make sure to recruit a set of, of fellows who have uh, the skills and capabilities uh, to meet those various needs. Why do host governments want ODI fellows? Well, simplistically, um, they provide value and they meet a need. ODI fellows contribute to stronger institutions. They help strengthen internal systems of a ministry. They improve national and subnational policies. They ensure that uh, their institutions are adequately and uh, appropriately uh, leveraging networks and building coalitions in order to advance their objectives. Um, given their insider and outsider status, their uh, and contributing to a positive work culture in their office. Um, but most importantly, they're advancing mutual learning. So this is not a, a, a one-way street. Um, fellows uh, contribute a lot to their, to their workplaces, but they get so much more uh, in reverse. So they learn uh, just uh, a tremendous amount about what it takes um, to enact change within an institution that is very, very different uh, to the ones um, that they might be familiar with. What's in it for a fellow? Um, my last point sort of refers to this. Um, the ODI fellowship is unlike anything that exists in the development sector. It is a unique and immersive work experience um, that allows individuals uh, to learn in a really um, experiential, and, uh, and deliberate and thoughtful way, um, how to be effective in the development space. It provides an opportunity to develop um, tangible personal and professional skills. Uh, and of course, it's uh, an ability to, to see, experience, and live in a different country uh, and embrace a different culture. What do ODI's, ODI fellows do? So uh, they do many things. Uh, there is uh, a large portion of fellows go on to be posted in ministries of finance, ministries of planning, um, central banks. So you'll see uh, a good chunk of them are there, but many then also work in line ministries, health and education, agriculture and environment. Um, in some cases, they're helping countries improve um, their external positions and their external stances. Um, and so that's where you see trade and industry coming in. And then you have fellows who are uh, you know, statisticians and are, are placed in government statistical agencies. Um, the other could encapsulate uh, a regional organization or an international organization. 
what do fellows do on a day-to-day basis? So uh, to, to, to be very broad about it, uh, they cover policy analysis, which means they analyze data and information to solve problems. This could be uh, looking at the macroeconomic environment, looking at um, expenditure in particular sectors, or helping to respond to crises. And the COVID pandemic um, was quite a, a challenging and trying time for fellows uh, who were mobilized in many ways uh, to assist uh, their host institutions. Uh, they go on to help um, strengthen systems. So in order to uh, understand and identify opportunities to make systems work more smoothly. So this could be on aspects of national accounts or budget coordination. Um, they're lo really looking to, to streamline the way that uh, government works. And finally, they help build networks and communicate complex ideas. Um, you know, fellows uh, come um, with uh, a background uh, often in, in economics or in statistics, which may be quite um, different to the experience amongst their teams uh, in their host institution. And so if uh, there's an interest in advancing a, uh, or creating a particular model, um, a fellow will be often tasked with, uh, with helping uh, their local colleagues to, um, to implement. So they can advise on trade policy, trade negotiations, uh, and work on, on technical subjects and as, as advisors. How does it work? Well, ODI is the facilitator of the scheme. Uh, we are essentially the, the, the negotiator, the broker, the administrator. So what we do is we select candidates, we identify fellowship posts in, in coordination with our host institution partners. We prepare a briefing for all fellows before they get posted. Um, and that takes place in person in London at the ODI office. We oversee the administration of the scheme throughout the 24 months of the fellowship, which entails um, salary payments, housing subsidy payments, flights, medical insurance, and then uh, reports to our funders. Uh, the ODI fellowship scheme is um, in large part funded by the UK government and uh, the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, but we have a number of different funders as well, uh, and we are responsible to them. And of course, we provide duty of care, and this is especially important um, in a very uncertain world. Uh, so we are char uh, charged and tasked with a fellow's safeguarding and security. What does the host institution do? So they help identify the fellowship post, which includes drafting a job description um, well in advance of a fellow joining um, his or her post. They manage the fellow on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, they essentially extend the same conditions of service um, as a local staff. So this means um, they pay a, a, a portion of the fellow's salary in local currency. Uh, they ensure that fellows can work uh, legally in the country, and they provide day-to-day -day duty of care in the work environment. So anything that deals with the workplace itself. The ODI fellow is responsible for um, doing their job to the best of their ability. So um, being mindful of and respectful of the needs of that particular institution um, 
and uh, and listening to to managers and colleagues about um, how best to to utilize their skills. They follow the rules of the host institution and promote the interests of the host institution well before a fellow's own. Um, because of the unique insider outsider status of a fellow, there will be a lot of demands on a fellow's time uh, and a lot of requests for intel. And yet a fellow's accountability is to the host institution first and foremost. And last, be a good colleague, right? Show respect, uh, behave with humility, be flexible, be adaptable to changing conditions. Um, it's, it's, it's an immersive experience and one that is uh, um, best suited for those who can go with the flow to some extent. Who are we looking for? So postgraduate econ uh, economists and statisticians who can apply their skills practically. I want to, um, to emphasize here that uh, uh, while a master's degree is a requirement, it's not necessary that uh, a degree be in economics or in statistics. Um, individuals who have a master's degree in public policy, in international development, uh, in a, an, another relevant field um, should very much apply because uh, their skills are, are valuable and, and could, um, could make a meaningful contribution to the, to the fellowship scheme. Relevant work experience is obviously a plus. Um, but most important, it, it, one must have um, the qualities that lend to a successful experience, resilience, humility, adaptability, and uh, a perceptiveness around culturally sensitive issues. Uh, applicants um, from all nationalities are welcome. Uh, I want to say that again. Um, this was not always the case in the history of the scheme, given its close connection with the UK government, but um, applicants from all nationalities uh, are, are, are welcome and encouraged to apply. Uh, and we especially encourage applications from the LGBTQ plus community, uh, as well as disabled candidates. And we will work closely with selected uh, individuals um, from those communities to ensure that they are in a successful placement that allows them to thrive. How to apply? Well, apply online uh, via our website. Uh, applications are live and have been live for the last week. They will be open until the end of April. So apply soon if you're interested. And if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us um, at fellows at odi.org. So I'm just gonna take a quick look at the Q&A to see if there's anything that uh, we might want to address that's sort of admin related, Darren, uh, before we move on to our alum participants. So I see one that says, can I apply if I am still in my master's program? Yes, you can. If, you're, um, if you will complete your master's degree before October, 2023, right, Darren? May I know more about the interview process? So Darren, would you like to take that one? Um, yeah, so the interview process we have in the past had a panel interview, um, which lasts about 25 minutes for each candidate. 
and then also a group assessment which kind of tests the more um different skills not not necessarily a technical knowledge so it's a two-part exercise over half a day another question i see is about the pre-departure briefing session in september in london it's a full week so odi would uh, be uh, arranging for uh, selected fellows to come to london that would be um, paid for by ODI uh, and to participate in a full week's worth of, of briefing sessions. Does this fellowship only uh, apply to economics and statistics uh, as candidates? No, right? Uh, if you have a skill set that you think is aligned with the goals and objectives of the uh, scheme, please apply. Darren, uh, do you want to tackle this question about deferrals? Yeah, so we haven't ever actually deferred placements. And the reason really is because um, the number of placements varies each year and the type of placements varies each year. So someone that's selected one year might not be suitable for their next. So they'd have to um, apply again, unfortunately. So I think in order, uh, there's a lot of questions coming in. Let's move on to the alum portion of our webinar, and then we can uh, get back to some of these questions um, at the end, or Darren and I can type some answers uh, in the chat as well. Um, without further ado, I will turn it over um, perhaps to Jamelia first, since she's our alum, and then Karishma can speak about her current experience as, uh, as a fellow. Thanks, Asha. Um, so uh, I did a fellowship in 2012 to 2014 in Sierra Leone. Um, uh, and I guess to speak to some of the questions, I applied while I was still doing my master's. So I was doing my master's uh, at LSE. I found out that I had been selected uh, to, to take part in the scheme before I had uh, completed my master's. So that was perfectly fine. Um, uh, I had, I didn't know what language they spoke in Sierra Leone, for example, when I found out that I was going to Sierra Leone. So like just from the beginning, it was a completely new experience. I was in the Ministry of Finance and Economic Development, working in debt management. Uh, and, um, uh, I, I went into, it, uh, being, you know, very technical and, and wanting to go and do a lot of forecasting and a lot of, um, economic policy. Uh, and I guess my first learning from my fellowship was it, working in a developing country is as much uh, economics as it is politics or, or, or health economics or development economics, whatever it is you do as your specialty. So a lot of that was just sort of learning about the political climate and, and what that means in terms of the types of um, work that I, that I was doing and, and how those two things come together and interact. Uh, I did a lot of work around um, treasury bills uh and um uh the, the debt sustainability analysis uh and that was all new to me uh i i had a lot of quantitative knowledge and skills but i, I also learned quite a lot from my colleagues my placement was was different in the sense that it was the first one uh and that gave a lot of flexibility to to sort of explore and and make something new of the role 
but it meant I had to go with the flow a great deal because uh, sometimes my boss might ask me to do something, but then he would ask me to do something else. Um, uh, throughout my two years, um, I did a, a lot of work within the Ministry of Finance, but I also did work in the central bank as well because there was a lot of overlap with debt management and the, the treasury bills, etc. cetera. Uh, I also, you as an ODI fellow, um, you're seen as as coming with uh, certain types of analytical and research skills. So uh, we were five in the Ministry of Finance and we were often called upon to produce these policy briefs. Uh, so they used to refer to us as, um, as the ODI think tank, which we, we were not really, but anytime there was a policy question, they would ask us to write like a short policy brief. And that, that was, um, I think that was, that's quite neat for us. And, uh, and another fellow at that time and myself, we, we developed an academic interest out of that. And I went on to do a PhD and, and he is also doing a PhD now and currently works for the, for the World Bank. Um, this other person who I speak of, we both used to lecture at the university at um, Farabay College. So we also had that opportunity to, uh, to explore something else that uh, we can do uh, after the fellowship. Um, in terms of sort of day-to-day, um, -day, uh, what I would say is, uh, like you spend a lot of time at work and um, you, you get to know your colleagues really well, but it's also important to get to know the country really well and uh, the you know the place that you, you're living with and your colleagues really appreciate that I I had an ongoing relationship with Sierra Leone after my fellowship uh, because my colleagues liked what I was doing and I continued to provide policy advice as a consultant um, also through um, a, an ODI scheme budget strengthening initiative but um, is that sort of, you know, when your colleagues see that you really value and have an interest in the country and really want to see the country grow and develop, they, they respect that a lot. And I, and I think it, it shines through in the relationship that you have and the quality of work that you can do. Um, uh, I did my PhD research in Sierra Leone. So my research and my interest and relationship with the country continues to grow. And, and I credit the ODI Fellowship for that. I met my husband in Sierra Leone, uh, so uh, it, it 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 is <laughs> it's very difficult to separate those two years of the fellowship and the last ten years of my life because they've become so intertwined with each other, uh, both in terms of the professional uh, and then uh, as a result the personal as well. Um, so yeah, I can sing the praises of the fellowship. I guess well, uh, another thing I would say is that um, uh, in terms of the support that you get from ODI. Uh, you can see Darren is like typing away now and answering all your questions. <laughs> and this is characteristic of Darren. So we were in Sierra Leone at the start of the Ebola outbreak. Um, so there was a lot of support to us in uh because Ebola started in 2014 and I was there 2012 to 2014. So there was a lot of support to us in terms of just sort of navigating that and, and making sure that we were able to fulfill our duties to the ministry, the various ministries, but also um, just making sure that we were safe. And then when we had to be taken out of the country, making sure that that happened uh, timely and at you know considering our interests as best as possible. Um, yeah, so I guess um, maybe I'll stop there and and possible and then I can take lots of questions after. Thanks so much, Jamelia. Um, 
I, I hear what you're saying, how it's difficult uh, to unentangle the personal and the professional, <laughs> given what a transformative experience it was for you. Um, Karishma, we'll turn it over to you since you've only been in your role uh, for the last three months. So uh, there was an interest. We did this webinar yesterday uh, in the morning to try and accommodate some time zones. And there was a, a, a an alum who showed a nice little graph of um, kind of the, the ebbs and flows during the fellowship experience. And he indicated the the first phase is the honeymoon period. So perhaps you're still in your honeymoon period. Uh, because after the, the honeymoon period, I think was the, the reality check or uh, or some such that uh, that he referenced. So uh, uh, off to you. Thank you, Sasha. Hi, everybody. Um, as has been mentioned, I am one of the newest fellows um, in the, I've just started in January and I'm at the Ministry of Health in Malawi. Um, so my experience is so far quite limited to these three months, but I mean, Sasha has it bang on. It is 100% amazing so far. Maybe this is the honeymoon period and it's going to go downhill and then come back up. I'm not sure, but it's been really, really great so far. Um, so I will talk about some of the work that I've been doing um, and some of my early reflections on the scheme. Um, in terms of the work, I think Malawi, at least the Ministry of Health in Malawi, is one of the longer standing fellowship positions within the fellowship scheme. So there is already a lot of trust within the system or when an ODI fellow comes in. So it was while some people take some time to sort of build up their portfolio of work, that was definitely not the case with me. I came in and there were projects kind of waiting for me to start. And my manager was very clued in as to who the ODI fellow is supposed to be, what their role is like. He also had a huge sort of active engagement in building my terms of reference. So it was really helpful to come in and have somebody sort of give me that guidance from day one. Um, in terms, I don't have a health background. I have been working in education for the past few years. And before that, I've been working in economic consulting for a long time, which also answers, I think, one of the questions on the portal as to whether there is a time limit after graduation as to when you can apply. I mean, I applied, I, just, I finished my master's in 2015 and I started my fellowship in 2023. So there's at least no eight-year time limit and I don't think there's any further time limit either. Um, but I don't have a health background, but it's, and so it's, I think the first project that I was given was an excellent project to kind of really show me the context of Malawi and Malawi health system. I was working on one of the biggest grants, um, the health sector grants within Malawi, and I was working on the health system strengthening component of this. Um, this enabled me to sort of meet people across the ministry at very senior levels, learn about the needs of the ministry, how such grants are, how such activities under such grants are prioritized, sort of coordinating and leading on developing this entire grant, which was a great experience. Um, that being said, it was a lot of work at the start. And uh, it, it, I think especially given the fact that I really, didn't know people or the sector it was really being thrown into the deep end which I actually really enjoyed and coming out of it and reflecting on it I think that it's taught me a lot already um, but I think that often ODI fellows are sort of 
especially if you're if you're posted to a country where you there has been a fellowship for the past few years and they know the kinds of roles that ODI fellows undertake you could have a lot of work coming your way from day one um the other big thing that i've been working on cuz it's budget season right now is the national health budget and that's again very very interesting um it's i think it really shows you how sort of your technical skills along with your colleagues contextual knowledge can really strengthen the health system um i think the other thing that i would say is in in these two and a half or three months i've already sort of realized what a fantastic and niche opportunity this is because it is you can really see the difference in what you see on the ground and what you can learn versus what somebody at sort of an international ngo or a partner or a donor organization here can contribute i think sitting within the government office sitting around your colleagues you are really shown the realities on the ground and i used to work um in the uk for a non-profit that was headquartered in the uk but had country offices in sub saharan africa and i think one of the reasons for me to do the odi fellowship was to be closer to the field but i actually think that even being within even being in in one of in in a sub saharan african country but working from the office of a partner organization is very 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 different to working from a government office you really learn what the challenges on the ground are and sometimes they are very very basic challenges like the laptops that they are given are not good enough to do the work that they need to do you will never see this sitting outside an organization or like something as basic as they don't have electricity at home often and so they really can't do any work once they leave the office um and i think i think this for me has probably been i really appreciate what what a sort of fantastic opportunity this is because this really sort of is a very once in a lifetime opportunity that you can get to actually be able to see this from the government's perspective um the other things that i would say i think odi throughout has been extremely extremely supportive in, through the entire application process i mean i have definitely sent that in a bunch of questions when i was applying and he's always been very quick with his responses and always responded very helpfully um i also think that the briefing week which was asked in one of the questions as well which is a week long uh, meeting in london in addition to sort of preparing you for what's coming i think the best part of it is that you get to spend an entire week with your cohort and really get to know them especially given the fact that like following this week you will be all over the world and you may not have that many chances to actually meet with each other in person and i think that that one week is really a fantastic opportunity to build that network and also make some great friends um i do see how the odi network is really long standing and i'll give you an example of this we have currently two odi fellow or two current odi fellows in malawi but we have two ex fellows one who was a fellow in uh, the pacific islands and another who was a fellow in sierra leone who are both now working in malawi and then there was somebody else who was visiting last week and so we just had an odi lunch where there ended up being six of us and the conversations 
it's just so obvious that like as Jamilia said, your personal and your professional will be intertwined for the foreseeable future because this is a transformative experience. And I mean, for me, it's only been two and a half, three months yet. But I, I mean, at one point, I remember during the lunch, I actually commented being like, wow, this is like actually getting ridiculous because every second sentence was about like somebody else who knows somebody else who's an ODI fellow. And like the, it's, it's, it is a very strong network and people do, you you work together you sort of live in these contexts together and i think they do build long standing um relationships um in addition to that i think in general i think odi has been extremely supportive with sort of um you know providing medical advice or providing travel insurance they're always an email away they sort of check in on you every week to ensure that everything is going well so i think in general it's it's really nice to have you know that you have that support um i think i will stop there but happy to take any specific questions as they come in through the chat thank you back over to you sasha thanks so much karishma um yeah definitely the honeymoon phase uh Javilia, there's a question for you in the chat um, sure did you did you ever feel out of your depth um i did uh and i guess maybe it came after the honeymoon phase so my honeymoon phase was very sweet because um, uh, when I got to Sierra Leone, my boss greeted me. And then shortly after that, he went to DC for IMF meetings. And they hadn't sorted out my desk as yet. And he said, well, you can use my office. So I sat <laughs> in my boss's office <laughs> for about a month because after DC, he went off to Japan or something like this. And it was fantastic. Um, and you know, I, I had a lot of time to just read about the country. And I, I had um, a sort of routine tasks to do. But um, as I said, because my job was relatively new, uh, I had to I had to sort of figure things out and and create work for myself. Um, and my personality doesn't uh, I I like to I like having a some amount of structure um, uh, to sort of you know know that I'm I'm gonna do this and then I get it done. Uh, so I had to create that structure for myself. Uh, and like a certain amount and you know you have to leave space to sort of go with the flow and for me that was um that was lecturing at the university so I, I used to do that in my own time on Saturdays uh, and I knew that you know this was the thing that I would do every Saturday without fail uh, some weeks would be really busy at work especially around the budget time or if we had a, a debt sustainability report to write but when there was a period of lull, I still had that one thing that I knew, you know, and you can create that for yourself. Another thing that I that I did as well um, is I, I my role wasn't really involved with monetary policy, but I was interested in that. So I I put myself forward to join the monetary policy technical committee. And I used to go along to that uh, every month. Um, so, yeah, so I guess the, the difficult part for me came with, um, you know, just sort of uh, the, the 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 periods where you don't have enough to fill your day but you ha you have to create make yourself available and um and just sort of you know be about the be about the ministry one of the things that i learned is um a lot of in sierra leone it, it might be different depending on the placement but a lot of the policies and the decisions get made outside of business hours because this is when people meet and so oftentimes you just sort of have to be around and you might bump, bump into someone you know outside the office uh, in the corridor and they tell you oh yeah there's a meeting that's happening 
this afternoon and you go to that meeting and, you know, you can contribute because something comes out of that. So it's just sort of, you know, being a little bit flexible in the approach and uh, and not expecting to sit at your desk and the email is going to drop there uh, telling you to to do this and do it by this deadline. But, you know, it's, uh, it's a different context. Thanks, Jamelia. Uh, there's another question here. Um, what are the kinds of projects that I should showcase in my application? Uh, and what should be the level of detailing of those projects um, in order to highlight key skills that would be um, kind of attractive to the selection committee? Karishma, would you like to go first since it was more recent for you? Sure, happy to do so. Um, in my case, when I was working as an economic consultant, I did a lot of work with public sector um, governments on macro and fiscal policy, and I highlighted those uh, those experiences. I also highlighted my experience working um, for a nonprofit with country offices in Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, I think in terms of the specific skills, I mean, of course, your economic and technical skills, but I think equally your stakeholder engagement and people skills are very important in government. Um, and I think any sort of examples you can give of maybe holding workshops or sort of focus groups where you've had to discuss uh, a, a larger topic, come up with sort of a way forward, bringing together various different types of opinions, I think those are very critical and will help, will actually help you in your job as well. Um, yeah, I think I think those would be the key ones for me. Um, Jamelia, anything that you would? Um, so I think for, for me, I would say one of the things that um, uh, you really need to bring out in the application and also sort of reflect on yourself as you decide to apply for this scheme is um, uh, is that sort of developing country experience and approach to, um, I guess what we say now is doing development differently. Um, because uh, the ODI fellowship is, is very unique in how it's positioned. You are providing technical assistance, but at the same time you're learning a lot. And you're not providing technical assistance in the sort of um, IMF World Bank cons consultant type because you sit in, in government. So you are a civil servant and you are, you know, you're, you're there, you're on the ground, you're working with your colleagues. Um, and I think um, it takes some skills to do that, but it also takes the right attitude to do that. Um, and it's not so much something that you can, you know, you can't have a bullet point for that in your CV, but it's just sort of, you know, it's the attitude of, of a, a different way to approach development and work in, in a developing country context. So I think it's about thinking through that and reflecting on that as well. Thanks, Jamelia. So uh, another question for our fellows. Um, during the two-year fellowship, did you have annual leave to go back home? Um, how often did you travel, either back home or otherwise? Uh, and then the second question is on safeguarding and security, if there's anything that you can share uh, about how you experienced that. Rishma, do you want to go first since you're taking advantage of leave <laughs> tomorrow? <laughs> Sure. Yeah, of course, you do get annual leave. You get the same amount of annual leave as your local colleagues would get because technically you are employed by the government that you're working for, not ODI. Um, and in terms of safeguarding and security, I mean, 
I think as Sasha also mentioned in her uh, in her presentation, I think day to day workplace safeguarding and policies are basically what the policies in the government would be. But outside of that, ODI is very very helpful. They sort of um, they're always there. They have uh, they have you can reach out to Susan and Darren at any point. They have a counseling helpline as well. Um, you also you have sort of travel insurance and insurance for where you are you have medical insurance you have evacuation covered so it's, it's I think overall it's very holistic um, there's also you're also given the contact of uh, global security at ODI who's always one phone call away if something were to go wrong um, ODI also has a fellows portal where you sort of um, outline if you're traveling anywhere and you sort of let them know where you're going to be so that is something were to happen they have they are aware of where you are they can reach out to you asap and um, maybe they would have some intel before you about something that's going to come up and in which case they would sort of help you um, navigate the issue yep i think that's it from me um so same in terms of the annual leave like uh we would just uh we, we have a certain amount that's written in your contract uh that's similar to your colleagues uh, and you give your boss some uh, some notice in advance, asking if you could go on annual leave, and that's usually fine. I I think is um most uh, most fellow most postings your boss sort of you you know that you might want to go home for Christmas or for Easter, or whatever is the main um, holiday that you might celebrate, and they're very understanding and accommodating of that. Um, in terms of safeguarding, uh, I have to say that since I was a fellow. Oh, yeah, has put a lot of new things in place, which sounds really fantastic. Because um, I was very content with my emails to Darren and Suzanne, and, and they, it used to work really fine. But it seems as though there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more in place now. Uh, I guess one of the things I would just add to that is um uh the, the fellowship scheme, uh, in addition to the salary that you'd get locally. Uh, you would also be you. You get your your stipend from ODI, and you also get some allowance um, to to take care of your housing and stuff. So we we lived in a, a, a we lived as together as ODI fellows, and we we had security um, on our compound. So you also uh, it does basic that's context specific depending on the country, but like in Sierra Leone, it's sort of everybody has security, partially for deterrence rather than anything else. Um, uh, so those things, are, and if you feel uncomfortable in any way, then, um, you, you can always just talk to ODI and, and, and you also have your, your, you also have the other ODI fellows. I guess maybe it's important to emphasize that you're not just going out there by yourself. So when I, when I landed in Sierra Leone, there were five fellows the year ahead of me. And I also went with two other fellows and we traveled on the plane together. We got there together. We lived together and we, we had like a, a really nice, um, a really nice uh, friendship and, uh, and bond. Um, and so you have your, you have your fellows who you can, you know, they're, they're a support system as well when you're there, uh, the people in your cohort. Um, yeah. So I'll stop there. Yeah. Jamelia is right in, in referencing the fact that um, what Karishma is experiencing is not what existed um, 10 years ago. And so um, it's been a, a large investment on the part of ODI to ensure that there is um, just a level of assurance and comfort um, 
and security, right? The feeling of knowing that if something goes catastrophically wrong, um, ODI is there. Uh, we have a, a global security team that is, um, he proudly says he's 24 seven and he really is 24 seven. Um, you could contact Rob at any hour of the day um, for anything at all. Uh, and his job is to really, well, make sure fellows are prepared. Um, so it's a, a really uh, essential part of the briefing week that takes place before fellows go out um, to their roles uh, to have a, a sense of what they might encounter. He's responsible for, for providing that training to, to fellows um, pre-departure, but then all along the way, um, anything from, is it safe for me to take a car you know, and cross this border to, oh, I got bitten by something and it doesn't look great. I should probably go to the hospital, right? Because yeah, go to the hospital. So um, it's quite uh, extensive now, the, the safeguarding and, and the security efforts. Um, another question that I think is a nice one, um, what's work-life balance like for an ODI fellow? I can go first. Um, I, I think it's been, I would, I, I would split up my three month fellowship into two bits. The first, the first part was honestly horrendous. I haven't worked like this since maybe at least the last six years. I pulled, I did several 14 and 16 hour shifts. Um, and it was not fun because I just don't think I'm at that point in my life anymore when I watch when I want to work 14 or 16 hours anymore. Um, that being said, that was, I was very new to the role and I was really thrown into the deep end. I didn't know enough people there. I was honestly coordinating and leading a huge grant, which had a hard deadline, but I had absolutely no support because I was the only person from the planning department within the Ministry of Health doing this. Um, but that being said, I, I honestly think it was a very enriching experience in its own way because it really did introduce me to the health sector in a way that I think very few other projects would have. Um, and I think it really did give me the opportunity to meet people, learn about the context and learn about the priorities of Malawi. Um, but, and, and I think I was, I was okay with it because I, I didn't raise it to my own boss who I'm sure would have provided me with more support if I'd actually raised it, mainly because I was learning so much and I knew that there was a hard deadline coming up after which things would be better and so I just sort of went with it and I don't looking back at it I don't regret it following that honestly it's been really good it's been um there is enough to keep my day busy but I think a lot of this sort of because there are no external deadlines of course besides the national budget having to be done by the time of the new financial year um, I think it's been really good in terms of sort of being able to set my own uh, timelines and deadlines and sort of speak up to what I think is possible. So I am sort of working a good seven to eight hours a day, but I do I feel like I have more than enough time to sort of also enjoy the country and learn more about the context that I am in. Uh, yeah, so I would say that um, junior fellowship is an excellent time to have very good work-life balance. Um, uh, one of the things, uh, and again, this will be country-specific, but in Sierra Leone, they're very, um, they're very much about being present, um, whereas I guess in, in other contexts, it might just be more on the output. So my boss liked us to be in the office between eight and four, because that was work time. 
Um, and in that regard, you know, it, it also is good for you to set that sort of boundary. That's your workday. If it's eight to four or nine to five and you're able to do what you have to do within that time. Um, of course, you know, there'll be periods depending on the ministry that you're in. So I was in the Ministry of Finance, especially around the budgeting time. You will work outside of those hours because there'll be a lot of work coming in terms of preparing the budget. You will also have opportunities to go away with your colleagues for workshops um, where you would go for a week. And uh, if you choose to, you stay at the hotel and, and you know, you work in for the week, ensuring that whatever the output is, it gets pushed out. Uh, and then other times you might have a little bit of a lull. But I, I think um, for my time, work-life balance was great because then I, as I said, I had my, my side project, which was my lecturing. Uh, and then I was also so, just sort of, you know, sussing out what my academic interests are and what I would do um, if I were to go into academia. Uh, the social side, I think, is also really good because you you will be there with... Um, you, you would be there with the other ODI fellows and then there would be other people who are part of the expat community, although you might want to broaden your scope outside of the expat community. Uh, but there'll be lots of people who are also willing to see the country as well. So we, Sierra Leone has really nice beaches. So we used to go to the beach most weekends or we would go up country and, you know, go to like a nature park or something like that. So there's lots of school because you have people who, uh, you know, they, they want to see and they want to experience the country just like you. So you have company to do those sorts of things. Um, and then your colleagues will invite you to do things as well. Uh, they would invite you to their weddings and their christenings and, and whatever it is they're having. Uh, and that's also a nice way to get to know your colleagues, to get to know some of the traditions in the country uh, and just to, you know, in, uh, assimilate as much as you can. Great. I'm going to take a question. So since ODI opened up to the rest of the world, has there been an increase in applications from Sub-Saharan Africa? Um, what are the odds that an applicant from Africa would be chosen over those from the rest of the world? Um, so it's true since we opened up uh, the, the application to everybody. And Darren, when, when was that, when it was open to all nationalities? Um, well, I think, gosh, I don't think it's ever excluded nationalities, but I mean, when it first started, it, it was definitely geared towards UK-based applicants. So I guess we we started to emphasize that it was uh, open to all nationalities, um, you know, some some number of years ago. And it's it's true that the, the applicant pool is diversifying um, more and more every year. Um, I don't think there are good odds or, or bad odds, frankly, um, based on your nationality. I think the the intent is to have diverse, capable, uh, and uh, eager group of individuals participate in the, the fellowship. And if you're a good candidate, you're a good candidate. I think there's, um, we'll, we will do our best to ensure that, you know, we're being reflective of um, you know, the composition of the world and that um, we're, we're making this a fair process and we're not privileging certain backgrounds or, or certain um, signals on a recipe on a resume but um, but yeah if you think you would do well put it all in your application right there's uh, the the standard stuff right give us the you know your references give us your um, you know your your background and your work experience but there are a few kind of free answer questions um, that we've actually tweaked this year because we want uh, to, to, to hear from you and hear about your enthusiasm for the scheme. And um, if you're sincere, that comes through. Yeah. 
Another question on, um, do you believe, fellows, uh, sectors like education, finance, or health, um, are they sort of, is it critical to have backgrounds in those sub uh, subspecialties, or do you think you can kind of pick up uh, on, on the nuances? I guess, Karishma, your experience um, indicates that you can, but it would be great to be more explicit yeah, about that. I definitely think that you can pick up. I honestly, I don't think that at least any of the work that I am doing is technically very complicated or uh, has the most sort of difficult economic concepts that I learned during my master's that I probably don't even remember anymore. Um, I think a lot of it is, I mean, I think for me, the biggest gap at this point is the contextual knowledge and that would Whatever whatever background I had, I wouldn't have the Malawi knowledge. And that's where I think that the knowledge of my colleagues is so important and having their support is so important. Um, because it's, I mean, I think a lot of the sort of technical skills and a lot of the work that we do in terms of drafting, quantitative analysis, stakeholder engagement, all of that can be, is, is more critical. And you can always pick up sort of health specific, in my case, health specific nuances quite easily especially given that you do, we, I have an economics background. Um, but yeah, for me, I would say it's the, the biggest gap is the contextual knowledge. And I think that, I think having amazing colleagues is what makes all the difference. So yeah, I would agree 100%. Um, I think what you should be thinking is uh, the, the knowledge and the skills that you have, how can you transfer it? to a different uh, different sets in a different line ministry. There are some uh, postings that would be like a bit more specific with their technical uh, um, requirements. So for example, if you are in a statistical office, like the equivalent of, a, of Office for National Statistics, for example, you might be required to have like a bit more statistical knowledge, but Darren and they would consider this when they do the placement. Um, but I think, yeah, like if if you're an if you're an economist and you you know how to do some sort of regression or some cost benefit analysis or something, you should be able to apply that across different ministries. And a lot of the learning is really contextual and just understanding the like the country that you're in, and and how they do different things. Um, uh, just to say one more thing on that, uh, one of the things that you can do as well in terms of if you really want to push capacity building and um, like I know someone who did this in Sierra Leone is if you see that, you know, you, you've been trained with some um, some technical skills and you're not really using it, but you see there's scope to use it in your work, maybe you could run some workshops with your colleagues and train them on how to use it. So if you see that they use a lot of Excel, but they're not really doing it as well as they can with Excel, you can train them on how to do that, for example. Thanks, Jamelia. Uh, it seems like we're rapidly coming up on the hour, but maybe another question or two before uh, we wrap up. So Jamelia talked about her side project of lecturing at the university. Um, someone is asking, um, is, there, is there time to work on side projects, potentially like one owns research? Um, so I, I guess it depends on what you mean by your own research. If you are working on a big project, um, probably not, uh, because I mean, this is your full-time job 
and and you should treat it as, as such because you know you're there for two years and you should try to give the government the most that you can give them from yourself. I say that having done a PhD, and if you're working on something that you know requires you to to have your head in it, um, you, I don't I don't see it. it it depends on if it's a side project. <laughs> uh, teaching a teaching a, a undergraduate economics course doesn't require that the entry costs are low, especially if you've done a master's and you've recently done a master's. You know you can pull it together fairly quickly. Um, uh, but uh, if you if you're trying to write a, a an academic paper that you've done the research for already and you're just writing it up, fine. If you're trying to collect new data and analyze it and push something out, it might be a little bit more difficult. Unless it's spread out over the entire two years. (laughs) Karishma and her uh, 14-hour days, maybe no time for uh, (laughs) a side project. Um, Yeah, I mean, I would say I would completely agree that this is your full-time job and you want to give the most to it that you can. I personally don't have the inclination at this point to do a side project where I'm sort of working professionally or academically outside of my job, which I'm spending uh, a lot of my day doing. But I do know other technical advisors at the Ministry of Health, uh, not ODI fellows, but technical advisors that are sort of doing a professional doctorate with their uh, technical advisor position where they are actually repurposing a lot of the work that they are doing into their DRPR research. So it, it is... Um, it, it really depends on what kind of a side project you're talking about. But uh, I would say that within reason, you would have some time. But of course, there would be times when work is quite hectic and it would be difficult to adhere to external deadlines outside of your work just in case things sort of become very busy at that point. I think that's fair. And in fact, um, many fellows, their side project is learning the local language. Uh, So when I um, visited a group of fellows in Addis uh, in December, all three of the fellows at the time were um, spending a a significant amount of time learning Amharic. Um, So we've learned uh, and heard from fellows that it's quite um, beneficial to to make that investment uh, in your uh, in your off hours uh, to learn the language. Um, I think we should wrap it up. So, uh, given that it's um, it's getting getting on in the day for many people, so and the, the weekend is here. So I want to thank uh, Jamelia and Karishma for taking the time to speak with us today uh, and share their experiences. I wanted to thank uh, Darren um, for being here and for um, rapidly answering many of your questions. Um, And thank Susan in spirit for all that she does for the scheme. Uh, And thank you all for joining. Um, The application is live, as I said, it seems like some people may be getting an error trying to access it. So we will um, investigate that on our side, but know that um, you, if you go to our website and um, look for the, the fellowship scheme on the ODI website, um, you should be able to find it pretty easily. Um, this will be recorded uh, and we'll put something up on our website. Uh, and so if you have others that you know are interested in the scheme but couldn't make this session, know that this content will live on our website for others to access later on. Um, so thank you all very much. Have a wonderful weekend. and. Um, Work on your applications. Thanks so much.